saw your face displayed upon a crescent moon that wavers up and down depending how the petals bloom doomed always destitute fused through infected roots searching for a message but there's nowhere left to exit to heart full of vestibule scars show i'm resolute why seek a resolution narcosis heaven sent heart grows beneath my feet dark gross infested fruit too exhausted need to breathe car smoke and mist perfume forever i've been inhaling the thinnest air fit scales in my skin and hair says up what you didn't care dancing like i'm fred astaire standing on a finister ready for the rocks below chest full of rocket fuel flammable just another animal for fossil fuel all my words are oxidized jar of flies are molecules i find solace in the solitude everything grew silent when i called for you I saw your face displayed upon a harvest moon Tried to sing the pain away in ways I know it's not in tune Save me from the jaws of gloom Maybe I can offer you more than what I say I made of lately It's my waterloo Hate me for my monikers Baby, I'm a connoisseur Gave away my parts to you Sang it like a cockatoo Smaller still Always crawled the pill to face robotic views Haunt me when the monsters taught me Talking in the solemn hues together They say I got away with words It never gave me worth But still I got away with worse Always dreaming while they take the churn Throwing matches till I matches Leave me at the stake to burn Encased in urns Earnest fake concern Circus circle us Taken churn thermos Brazen stay alert in turtle shell Maces turn fragrance Say the word before I hurt myself Pain occurs sacred When you came up from infernal soil I saw God in a body bag I got lost in the stars when they crossed Like a polygraph, never lied Cardiac in every line, insomniac Forever, never go to sleep again Black lungs from the fallen ash Giraffe tongue with a heart to match Get sawed in half like the Dahlia Place pain on display in Hollywood Painted all like Dollywood Face of war, fountain pens, melting countenances In a drawing book A psycho full of cyclones, eyes closed I go cold when I fly low Brains feed on haikus, eyes so in my temples, Cairo Bones it from their homes like their silos I'm silent, he'll tell me where the time went Kill pyramids that followed with a knife grip Vice grips always on the mind when the crisis hits Everywhere is like a mine, I step I'm an atom bomb, made an atom, atom up Adam's apple rotten, smash the applesauce Adam up, no Adam Eve in anatomy Only albatross 
Lost if I have to speak another casualty Got the casted wings casually I'm high again Fibrin as a higher synth Idling so I pretend that my defense is working Lurking with the burdens that still have below the surface I know these things have meaning Sometimes I don't know the purpose Introverted dizzy from the disconcerted tizzies Mr. Perfect isn't worth it Give me what I didn't earn Put it in and earn Live and learn I could never tell the difference when I'm miniature Red alerts Red alert like ministers It's hard to breathe when you're drowning in the good vibes But I'm still here now so tell me what it looked like They use a sword to signify that you're a good knight Then use the same one to kill you and say good night Everybody in the world blind Please Lord give me a sign A sign I wanna be the greatest Everybody on the face shit I look around and feel like everybody is the fakest I make this Every day and I'm impatient Hoping one day I blow up from the basement Yo Mo, did you hear about the new grift? Nope, what is it? Yeah man, I'm starting on There's a lot of YouTubers that I actually follow That are huge, right? So uh, I just kind of want to warn everybody. I'm not sure if this is going to become a new grift or not, but it kind of sounds like it where they're starting to sell parts of their YouTube channel to their audience members. So you can invest into my, for example, you can invest into my YouTube channel and you will get, I don't know, 10% of my royalties with YouTube AdSense. And it's starting to seem kind of sketchy, man. I, I don't know about it. Cause like one of the things I noticed, cause we both are on YouTube, but I mostly have my own channel. The YouTube ad revenue is going down. So I'm assuming this is the reason why people are starting to sell off because there's two ways to make money on YouTube. It's through YouTube ads, which has gone down significantly and it's by sponsorships and these deals. I don't think you get a cut of the sponsorships and I definitely don't think you get a cut of the Patreons and stuff like that. I think you actually just get a cut of the YouTube AdSense. So a lot of these YouTubers are starting to sell parts of their channel to their audience. So everyone be careful if you start seeing that look a little bit deeper, just in case. I don't know if it's a grift or not. It's just starting to seem very, very suspicious because I'm seeing a lot of a lot of YouTubers, the, the scammy ones, as well as the respectable ones who are doing this now. So I don't know. But how you been, man? Good, man. For all the new people, should we tell them um, who we are? Um, sure. Yeah. Hey, everyone. My name is Mark. I am a YouTuber, investor, and a trader. You can find me on my two YouTube channels. My brand new one is Half-Breed Observer. My old one is Uncultured Currency. I'm going to drop some news here in probably the next month or so on my channel. Where can they find you, Mo? Uh, so uh, you guys can follow me on Instagram at OTB Clubhouse and on Twitter, OTB Shark Mo. Yeah. So listen, everyone, we're going to have um, kind of a controversial conversation here closer to the end. And I just want to make this very clear. This is my opinion. When Mo speaks, that's his opinion. We are. This is not the come up series opinion. This is just us having a conversation that I think is important for the audience and if you guys want to engage in it by all means you can chat in there i'm going to pay attention this time to the chat um and depending on time we may do q a's and actually bring people in but um yeah man let's let's talk about something that's happening right now i don't know if you heard it was this news that came out today i'm sure you've been seeing all these youngsters just they call them youngsters and the youth who are ransacking these stores these luxury stores and, and stealing stuff 
uh, as well as like Target and other places? Have you been keeping up with that stuff? I have been. Um, there's a couple of stores in downtown. They actually closed down um, because the theft we call in retail, they call it shrinkage. Um, yeah. It's really, really high. And at this point, there's no point having these stores open. Um, I don't know if that's the case. I saw this in LA too. I don't know if this is in Florida. A lot of um, posh or elite areas usually are right by a lot of slum areas. So I don't know if Florida is the same way, but in or downtown, that's what's happening as well. There's a lot of people uh, that are breaking in. And honestly, if they get caught, it's not really a big deal to them because they're homeless anyways. So <laughs> caught, you know, they're going to get jail food. If they don't get caught, um, they'll probably have a better week or a day until they get caught. Yeah, it's, it's funny because it is a lot of homeless people, but it's also a lot of um, young kids. It seems like this generation has zero accountability and no morals anymore. People just ransacking these shops. But like you said, these shops are closing down. And the reason why I was bringing that up is because um, when the market closed, the owners of Westfield Mall in San Francisco are walking away from the mall. They're, they're handing it back over to the landowner. And um, this comes a month after Nordstrom, which also closed, which is in San Francisco. So both these places are in San Francisco. A lot of this stuff is happening in Cali, clearly, in New York. So um, I think it's like a, I don't know, man, we kind of opened up Pandora's box during um, the pandemic and shortly after with all the the ransacking, the destroying of businesses and stuff. And the minute the business were like, it's okay, a lot of them do their stuff, you know, we can just write it off. I feel like you kind of just opened Pandora's box and now people are just ransacking eventually. What you're starting to see, especially in urban areas where a lot of minorities live, a lot like Walmarts are leaving, Targets are leaving because they're being robbed consistently. And then people want to scream, be like, why are you leaving the jobs? Well, this is the youth that is causing this. Be better parents, be better community members. Remind these people, what are you doing? You are taking food off of your own table. You may sell a person eBay here, but for the most part, your family is going to end up losing money, the ones who work there. So it's just, it's, it's crazy, man. It's high crime area. Um, I'd say like, so if people, if companies like Walmart and Target don't have any policies or their policies aren't effective, um, that's a red flag. Um, I would also say, and I'm not taking the side of people that are doing it, people that are looting Walmart and Target, they're doing it for basic necessities. So it, and I'm not saying that they should be encouraged, but at, at that point, you'd want the government to do something to help these people too. Um, I'll say something controversial, or I think it's obvious, but everything that's gone in Hawaii and the kind of support that the government's done in comparison to what's happened in Ukraine, right? So if I could vote in states and really think about what's happening to the leaders, right, that are leading, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. And in the past, we've said, you know, U.S. has surplus, so it's okay to, you know, give some of the surplus to countries that need money. But this stuff, it's happening in your own house. Um, I'm not, uh, I don't associate to any political party. I think, uh, I have a different opinion about politics. I wouldn't get there. But my point in this case about you uh, brought Target and Walmart, I feel like, that's something like the locals or the mayor around, they should look into it or the people like even meeting like the basic needs, because if someone's 
breaking in and you say these youngsters are breaking in i don't know what the reason is but it could be making some extra cash i don't think they're breaking in so they could buy a gucci belt or they could wear a gucci belt for free they're probably selling it of course yeah no no but when you said they're doing it for necessities i didn't know that a tv and purses and gucci and stuff was a necessity <laughs> yeah, that's literally what a lot of them are stealing well at walmart tvs um that's pretty much the electronic section gets ransacked a lot of times as well. So do you feel like the people are angry because they feel like help is being given outside? Cause that's what I see on Twitter. I see an opportunity. That's what I see. If you, if you don't get in trouble for stealing, what stops you from stealing? Well, what's trouble for you? Is it jail time? Yeah. Jail time, arrested, punishment, something. They don't is get that, anything. Is that really bad though? Going to jail. Is that really bad? Like how does that, really prevent like so i don't know I and mean, that's the questions i ask because um i used to work in retail i worked in retail for seven years and we've caught people stealing and we call the cops and it didn't really matter um the cops would just book them in and then let them go after 15 minutes and tell them like they'll get a court date or something so i've seen it all through in canada i don't know how it works in states usually like when this stuff happens it stems from a bigger issue is what i'm trying to say I don't course, know yeah. what that issue is. But I think yeah. within, the, the issue, I think, really, honestly, is just society has changed quite a bit. Um, and I think certain things are just there's, there's a lack of accountability, honestly, is what I'm seeing. I feel like there's an excuse for everything. And we're going to get into that later anyways. But it seems like it's, it's an excuse for anything. It's like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's bad parenting. It's society. It's X, Y, and Z. But I don't know. All right. Let's get into some actual stock talk real quick. Do you want to go over the plays again that we took call out last week? Okay, Everyone, we... if you... Go ahead. Sorry. Did you? You you didn't do a call out last week, right? Yeah. I, and... I did. Yeah, you yeah. didn't. I did. But let's go down our track record so far. We did initially first time was Vail, 68%. Apple was 88%. I mean, 80%. Um, CLS is six months out, so you said that still holding it. Luckily, no one. Yeah, it's not doing anything. It's just consolidating. Okay, all right. So that one we won't know the results until six months from now. All right, the WWE. If you guys follow me on Instagram, dope content creator, or on my YouTube channel on Culture Currency, I posted a status of WWE. Again, the reason why I want you guys to take WWE because I want you to see the vertical spreads and what happens when the the bid and the ask are so far apart from each other and how sometimes it's difficult to get in and out. I said paper trade. Okay. If you took the actual trade, I don't know why um, I didn't. And I, I made it very clear on my um, Instagram page, but yeah, WWE was really ugly for two weeks, man. It was, but I said, WWE never disappoints me, dude. I was down at one point last week, 175%. I'm going to be real in a real life situation. Had that been real money? No, I would have exited the minute that it broke over 112 because 112 was the high 52 week high at that time. And I, last time it went to 112, it would come, it came back down below 110. That's why I got the 110, 115. It went all the way up to 114, man. It was really scary. So I thought that was going to be a dud, but Nope. Um, I held on to it uh, this week. Everything was selling off. So uh, WWE did too. It ended up below 110. So you end up making profit of 57%. So I, I showed the trade I took in paper money. So that was a win as well. As well, Veil. The Veil was the one I called out last week. I did a $13.50 put, and you buy the $12.50 put. I specifically said I made sure I watched the video over just to make sure. I did say I'm not going to enter this until it hits 1320 
because the premium should be around $60. So 60 cents is what the premium should be that you should collect. It never got there. It always got really close. It got to like 1330. And I also mentioned that if it fell below, I think it was 1280 or something like that, I would exit the position. On August 11, it was at 1330. After hours, some news came in and it completely collapsed and it went way below my um, my exit and everything. So I never entered it because it never got to 1320 during market hours for me to get into the position. And then clearly after hours, it completely crashed. So I wasn't going to go get into it after that. So that one is pretty much, I guess, a dud or canceled or whatever you want to say, because I didn't get into it. Um, I don't know how we should call that one, but that one was just a, a dud. And um, yeah, so that's that's the result so far in that one. Not too bad, to be honest. And um, I bought something today that I never thought I would buy again. AMC. What's your thoughts on AMC? Um, it depends. I haven't looked at um, AMC for a long time. I don't know if you bought commons or what, but did you buy commons? Commons? Yeah, like stock. Did you buy the stock? Yeah. No. Okay. I bought 100 shares and I bought one cast secure put. I had... I had the inkling to buy more, but it's AMC. AMC is a shit stock. It's a trade. I would not, I would not, I didn't, I didn't announce it here on this channel. I want to talk about it after I got into it because I don't want anyone following because it is a shit stock. But AMC, I've been watching it. I remember the first time I bought it was during the pandemic when it was at $2. And this is before the whole meme stock stuff happened. I knew that once the pandemic is over, Likely AMC will go to four dollars. That's probably where it's value because it's not a good company. They're they're I was I would guarantee probably five to ten years from now, I wouldn't be surprised if they file for bankruptcy. Um, but I bought a hundred shares, or no, 50 shares. I think it was 50 shares back then. And my homie, he bought options contracts. Then one day he called me like three months later. He's like, dude, did you see your AMC? He's like, I am up like a thousand percent. And I was like, What? And I'll open up my shares, and sure enough, it went from um, what was that? I bought it like a two dollars or something like that. It went to fourteen dollars, and I sold out of fourteen dollars, and then it ended up going to like thirty or forty or fifty, something like that. I didn't know what was happening because that was like the first emergence of the meme stock. So I haven't touched it since because I it's, it's a crap stock. But I knew that if it dropped below four, especially in the like mid threes, it was a risk I was willing to take. It dropped to three forty. I saw it, didn't know that some news came out. It's because of the ape stock. They're basically converting um, the ape stock into AMC. Not necessarily good news. The ape stock went up a little bit. AMC tanked for that day. So I knew at buying at 347, 100 shares and getting a few, uh, one cash secure put for $3 uh, is a good risk I was willing to take for the reward. And I'm holding it and I'm up now on it, I think like 50% or something like that. Let me hold on. Let me go look real quick. Uh, would you ever trade it though yourself? I have. I have in the past uh, multiple times. Um, when the whole GME AMC thing was happening, we kept buying it. It kept grabbing up. We kept doing that until the last roll failed. When they announced that the brokerages were doing much, uh, it had issues, that's when I stopped doing it. I, I used to do a lot of meme stocks, small caps. That's all I used to do until I got into tech. As your portfolio gets bigger, you start getting away from it because you want less stress because you can't make the same amount of money doing big tech. But I want to quickly talk about CLS because there's a lot of people um, that message me about it. So the CLS contracts are six months. I'm not holding it for six months. I would say about another two to three weeks, we should see a big move. Um, what I will tell you in terms of accountability, 
you're going to get a screenshot from me every single time I'm going to do a trade here. So you got one for avail. You're going to get for CLS so you could see that I'm actually putting in real trades. What you guys do with that information, it's up to you. But I'm going to be putting my real money where my um, any trade that I call it. So that's going to be that simple. Um, apart from that, I gave you guys a couple of things in the last two weeks. I hope it really helped you. I told you about the ARC uh, trade for September because a lot of people wanted hedge. Those are up anywhere from 300 to 400%. I told nice. you window weakness will be Wednesday. You guys saw the selling start Wednesday. This is very, very close to what the seasonality looks like. There's likely a bounce coming. After the bounce, there's a massive sell-off coming in September. We so far think it's just a retracement until a key level breaks, which we'll cover maybe another episode. But just know that this is straight supportive flows leaving the market. And that's why we're dropping, which is why I haven't been giving out trades. Because this market, it's not about your fundamentals, your macro. This is options trading zero DTE controlling the market. 55% of SPX zero day controls the market. That now changed to 65%. So if SPX moving up and down, 65% of the volume is zero day, which is why you don't want to be doing anything. CLS, relative strength is there. It hasn't done much. It stayed above 2051, which is why I think if we can get past this Friday, we're 2050. Next week's looking bullish. We could see over 22. Over 22, this gets a squeeze. On your AMC play mark, usually memes run into OPEX in a week after. So AMC is a meme. So you could see a big um, event wall come tomorrow. And next week, you could see a big run up. I just quickly checked the AMC chart while you were talking. It is still above 50 moving average, and it looks very strong in compared to the market. Yeah, and I feel I hate the fact that we're even talking about a meme stock today, but it's something that I took and I because I talk so much shit about these meme stocks because they're trash. But as a trader, I would not invest into it. But as a trader, I see the opportunity. And if you don't feel comfortable, again, not financial advice. This is the trade that I'm throwing out today, which I'm already in. I wouldn't suggest buying shares right now at this price because I think it's over $4 now. But right now you could still get a cash secure put for $3. I got in at $0.83. Cents. It's now at $0.72, cents, so I'm up 13%. 29 days out. So it's September, the monthly September, you can still get $72 per contract for a $3 cash secure put, which means that your exit strategy to break even is actually $2.30. It's, I feel like, a pretty high probability that it's not going to go down there unless some tragic news happens where there's like, tomorrow, sorry, all AMC theaters are shut down. But I think that that's the reason why I'm looking at it. I'm like, man... I kind of want to add more cash secure puts because I feel like it's almost guaranteed. But if it's not, I don't want to get stuck with more than 200 shares of, of AMC. Like I don't, I don't want to, but um, so it's, it's not a, I feel like it's not a bad trade. So I'm going to throw it out on the board. I'm going to do the AMC next month, September $3 cash secure put is what I'm throwing out there for that time. So, all right, that was the AMC conversation we got next on the dock 
Mo, we have small account hack. Okay. So um, before we get started, uh, I'll tell you a lot of these um, conversations we have. They're based on real interaction I have with people. And I pick up a lot of stuff from them and a lot of stuff with myself when I was trading with a small account. Um, and what I've noticed is that most people started with a small account in 2020, took it to a large account, and then brought it down to a small account again. So if that's someone uh, listening, just like this is going to immensely help you. And when I was making this presentation, um, I wanted to sum it down to five things that you could do to grow your account rather than just going over multiple things. And I wanted to really have simple steps because I promise you as much as you see people talking about how complicated the market is, how manipulated it is, most of that is just in our head and most of that is us making it complicated. So these are very five simple steps that I feel like most people don't follow. And they're very logical. And you're going to notice that when I go over it. Okay, let's get started. Okay, zoom in. Hold on. I still can't figure out how to do the slideshow on this. <laughs> so you, just, right. you can't just tap down? Let me try again. Hold on. Give me one second. That's what happens when you're old. Use error. <laughs> we, we get old and we start losing touch with technology. I'm starting to feel that way myself. You're way advanced. Okay, we'll just start with this. All right. Okay. So the first rule is take trades on retracement rather than breakouts. Let me break this down and I'm going to show you this in a chart. So what a lot of people do and what a lot of people fail at is they have key levels, right? So let's just talk in terms of calls. And a lot of people will have key levels. And the moment those levels break, you start getting into calls. A lot of people also call that as confirmation, right? Oh, Apple broke 150. Let's go get in a call. A lot of time there is a supply zone right above a key resistance and that's where institutions dump on us. So if you've ever noticed where a level break and then everyone gets in and then it fails, called a failed breakout, you get kicked out and then it goes back up again and now you don't, you're not in the trade because you got kicked out. And what I suggest, and that's what I do, I do not take breakout trades unless I see some big flow or there's other factors associated to it uh, because a lot of uh, breakout trades fail because they're also very commonly known as uh, popular trades or overcrowded trades. Um, I'll give you an example. I'm going to grab a random chart to show you guys what I mean. So we're going to look at PQQ or actually look at SQQ since we're talking about calls. So let's go five minutes on this. Uh, do you are you trying to show a chart? Hold on, it's not showing. Oh, no. Give me one sec. Okay. Okay, so, there we go. Here's the chart, and so let me pull a uh, one hour on this. I'll show you an example. 
So I'm going to show resistance and support because I don't know if everyone understands supply and demand. So a lot of people will have this as a resistance. And so let's just call them late, uh, late bears because SQQQ is inverse of QQQ. So a lot of people will wait for this level to break to get in. But my opinion is this is a very risky trade because you're entering at a point where it can retrace. So a couple of things happening here. One is you're entering at a key level that everyone's watching. The moment this level breaks, the IV is going to go up, which means you're going to pay a lot more for it. Now, if it doesn't go up, you're going to lose money because if it's consolidating, a lot of people will get theta burned down and kicked out. So you're going to be down 20, 30%. If it goes back to touch uh, the breakout level again, you're going to lose money again. And if there's a chance that it breaks out, you make money. But there's a there's there's the risk reward isn't there because market often doesn't go up in a straight line. So instead of you taking the trade here, where I would do the trade, and this is literally, if you can ask anyone from my team, this is how I take a trade. I would take this trade at 20.12. I wouldn't take that trade there. And as a small account, you guys have limited funds. So let's say someone has $1,000, right? If you have $1,000, I would divide that by five. So that's 200. You got 200 a day, basically, or a position size. You don't want to waste that kind of money on trades that could um, backfire. So you want to rather take safer trades. And in this case, the one where I told you I'd take it on support, if it doesn't work, I'll be out fast so I don't lose that much. I was doing a one-on-one -on -one, um, with someone, and I'm not going to say names or an amount because people tell me this kind of stuff in confidence. And they told me that last month they didn't have a great month. And their account dropped and I kept asking how much their account dropped. And then it eventually told me, but it went down by 80%. Now, if your account is going down by 80%, you want to watch this presentation because on my swing account, I took two swings and both didn't work out. The account is five grand after this is for the entire August. I only did two swings. I have different accounts, two swings. The account is down $700. That's it. And this is options. And I'm trading two weeks or a month. That's how much I limit my losses to. Because I'm taking trades where the stop loss is very quick, which means my entry is precise. If I've missed a move, I'm good with it. Today, as much as I told you the macro gave you the alpha, I failed at getting in inputs right at open because it did not come at my level. I just watched the puts print the entire day and that was okay with me. That's it. That's that's okay. If I missed the entry, I sit back. And if you're a small account, especially, you really gotta stop like taking these high-risk trades. Everyone's watching the same stuff. And what makes you a better trader is picking your risk reward and staying patient that's it that's what makes you a better trader they don't have more tools than you trust me a lot of people are thinking overthinking over analyzing with like a bunch of data that makes no sense it's mostly delayed so rule number one again let me bring the presentation dude write it down save it i don't care take trades on retracement rather than breakouts key rule number two now I'm going to figure out a way to, I have a handout made for this. Mark, you have to help me if we can distribute this, if people that want it. So 
you print this as a handout. It's not this. I have it made. You print it and then you write down if it trades A plus or not. I have a whole objective setup that I made for my mentorship team. You guys can have it. Mark just has to tell me how we can do it where people can just download it for free. So we'll talk about that after, but I'm going to go over this now. So take A plus trades only. A lot of people talk about that, but what are A plus trades? First, it has to be on key support. So 50 MA, daily support, demand, whatever that you have to pick. I've been doing play of the week for the last four months and only one trade hasn't worked. And every single of those trade was taken at 50 moving average. On Monday, I took a trade. Uh, it was FCX and it was in 50 moving average. And it had about, I think, $2 million in calls. It didn't work out. And I lost 28% on it only because it gapped down overnight had it not gapped on it's because the window of weakness happened and i should have been smart enough not to do it when i'm telling you guys this is a window of weakness i'm not going to give you guys a swing and i was down 28 percent had it worked like the down move happened during date market i would have lost about 15 percent on it but that's the big thing so take your stuff at key support not key resistances and keep this in mind this is for calls if you're going to do puts then take your key thing at key resistance. Next is stop loss close to an entry. If you're getting in at 20 and the stop loss is at 18 and you're looking at weekly, you're not going to take that trade. If you take the trade, you're going to be down 50%. The next one is risk re reward one to one or greater. Now, I want to tell you guys that risk reward should be minimum one to three, but I understand a lot of people have a hard time finding it. So one to one is okay as long as you know when it doesn't work out, you cut it fast. A lot of people, especially small accounts, they've been taught, take profits at 15%, take profit at 20% because you have a small account. Slowly, slowly comp. No, you need to run the trade to its full length, which is your plan. And you need to cut it when it doesn't work based on your exit. And you need to know where you're going to exit. If you guys ever enter a trade without having a stop loss drawn, you guys are going to lose. I guarantee you that. I had the one-on-one -on -one with the person that lost 80%. I told him the seven trades that I took last week all had a stop loss. And just so he doesn't think I'm BSing, we actually went through all those charts and he saw my golden line that said that this is a stop, this is a stop. That's the only way you can hold yourself accountable. For the longest time, I used to tell myself I'm a seasoned trader. I don't need to have a stop. I know it. But I saw myself just letting trades run through stops and go down and not selling them. Okay, so Malik, what do you mean by recognizing those signals is an incredible hard part? It's not though, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Even if you don't know supply and demand, you know basic support and resistance. I'll give you a quick example. Apple sitting at 180, what's your entry price? Write that down. What's your stop? Write it down. There's one thing you're having recognizing issues, but most people aren't having those issues. Most people are having execution issues, even though they know they should be cutting it. They're not cutting it. And it's because, you know, uh, they feel like it could go up. It's like hope. And then the last one, this is something I added based on, I'd say about 100 trades I've taken. Every single trade that hasn't worked out following those ABCs is when I st started to trade, um, uh, when I started to do counter trading, I'll explain. I read a book called Market Wizard, and they had about 12 people 
they're like these guys are like trading with 300 million they're like the top of the top one percent and one of the things that they all said and one of the things they all had in common was that they said that whenever they don't follow their trend line their algo which um, retraces trend they lose and i'm like that makes sense every single time i've done counter trading oftentimes i'll miss it the first or second time so let's say paypal for example i tried catching paypal big uh, sweep came in and it failed. Then I tried catching it again. It worked. So I'm like, why am I really catching the move that I know there's a chance? So it's like calling this call, catching a falling knife, yep. which I tried to do because I think I'm like some kind of Avenger. So I need to stop. That's one of the things I'm going to work on. I'm going to add that into my uh, homework that I need to only take a trade. So for instance, if QQQ is on an uptrend and I'm going three, four months out on Tesla and I go buy puts, that's not smart. That's really dumb on my part. And I've done that, to be honest. And it's worked, but that's not the point. The point is to find a system that works and scale it. That's the point. And so when I start counter trading, it feels good because I'm like, yo, you guys are wrong. I'm right. I know the ship. And that makes me happy, but that's not really a smart way of trading that's like going in the opposite lane and driving that's what i'm doing i'm counter trading so that's the last part i'm not good at and i'm working on it and it's more so i don't know if it's ego or what but that's something i need to fix about myself i love the fact that you're actually saying that you are not good in a certain area and that you need to work on yourself of course man trust me i'm nowhere near like that's why you read books and you're not going to meet those people on Twitter or Instagram. They, these guys are wealth of knowledge in books. And I say that all the time. Okay. Number three, size appropriately. What I mean by that, and I've said this last time too, the person that was trading with one contract all year round, I feel for them. I could feel the fear. I could feel the anxiety that I want to get better and I'm doing a responsible thing. But in my head, I'm thinking they're putting themselves in a position of so much anxiety, anger, and trauma. They're not getting anything out of it unless one day they get lucky and they land into an AMC trade and make a thousand percent, which you know how often that happens. And most likely that person's going to take profit a hundred percent unless it happens overnight. So size appropriately doesn't necessarily mean size small, means that size to your risk tolerance. And a lot of you guys are comfortable putting five different trades of $200. Get comfortable at doing 501 account, one play instead. It's easier to manage. It's easier to trade. And you don't need to micromanage it. Okay, this is a huge, huge one. And I'm telling you, this is going to change your trading. The goal should be execution process rather than profit. And I'm going to repeat what uh, my mentor told me a long time ago. They told me, if you want to be good at school, focus on learning. Grades will follow. If you want to be good, uh, if you want to get promoted, focus on the job and you'll get promoted. And if you want to make money in trading, focus on the process rather than dollar. The dollar is the outcome. I'll give you guys another example. I used to run a sales team, one of the best teams, and our focus and our KPI, key performance indicator, was numbers, sales numbers. What we saw was the top salespeople were usually very shitty at um, keeping, uh, staying ethical because they would do anything to get the sale. 
people that were low performing were, weren't necessarily bad people. They were just following the rule and we'd end up firing the people that weren't performing because, you know, they weren't hitting the numbers because our KPI was off. So we changed that to instead of focusing on sales, we focus on process. And the process was how many times do they ask for upgrades? How many times do they ask if their current service, like there was a whole metric, but it was focused on key behavior. So I trade a lot of sports people. Some of these people are, um, they've helped celebrities. And one of the things, obstacles that I run into is they say that Mo, Mo we hate losing. And when we lose, because from we're from this a sports background, we just hold a trade because we're like, we can't lose, right? We worked so hard. And so I had to change your mindset. Losing isn't really losing money. Losing is when you don't follow your plan. If you write down your entry, you write down your stop, you write down your profit. And if you follow your execution plan and the end outcome isn't there, it still doesn't matter. You followed your plan. Now, there's times when your plan will be thrown out of the window, like what happened with me on FCX. It got above 50 moving average. I saw a big flow. I get in. The next day, it gaps and then it doesn't retrace, actually starts selling off. So instead of taking a 20% hit, I took 28% or something. But that's what's going to happen sometime. And I'm okay with that. And their contracts were, I think, a month or two months out. My point being is focus on the process. One of the things you can do, it. I'm going to give you actionable items, is I don't really check my profit loss till the end of the day. I usually hang around in the order status tab, which lets you see how many contracts you have and where the premium is. Now, I'm pretty sure you can grab a calculator and see how down you are, but you usually don't do that because you're just focused on the process. Okay, and the last one is scan callouts to ensure they fit your account profile. So I'll explain you what I mean by that. I'm not saying discords are bad. I'm not saying callouts are bad, but I think majority actually create FOMO and people start comparing. So what you need to do is treat yourself as a scanner. And every play that gets called out, you use it as a filter system where you see if this follows your system. So if someone's, if you have $1,000 and I call out a Tesla $800 trade and I say it's high risk, right away, you don't want to take that trade, right? On the other hand, I call something that matches your A plus setup you take the trade. You cannot depend on anyone ever when it comes to making money. It has to come within you. You can use other people as leverage and their knowledge as leverage, but run it by your own system. And what I mean by risk upfront, you need to figure out what kind of trader you are. And this is a different style that I'm going to talk about. When I take a trade, I take the risk upfront. So if I want to put $1,000 in a position, I'm putting the 1000 right then. So all my risk is right there upfront. If the trade doesn't work out, I will take the loss right away. If the trade does work, I will take all my, not all, I will start taking my risk off very fast. There's other traders. What they'll do is they enter a small position. And when it starts working, they add more. And then they add more. And that's called averaging up. I'm never going to do that. I hope I don't because that I don't understand the point. I get that they're looking for confirmation. Once they get it, they go in. But you need to figure out who you're following and what their uh, risk style is. I think I think I covered everything here. Um, 
I don't know. Let me know if you guys have any questions, but uh, I wanted to make sure I kept this very simple, very to the point and not using any big words, big lingos, not throwing algos in here. Um, so I hope it made sense. Oh, you're muted, Mark. There you go. My bad. I said, like, yeah, if you guys have any questions, please drop it in the chat. Um, we actually skipped a topic here real quick, <clears throat> which I do want to touch on. And I think it is important because I see a lot of people talking about it online. If you guys do not know, Mo and I kind of pivoted, what, five weeks ago on this show. So we do entertainment and knowledge. So it's both. It's Thursday. Relax. We're close to the weekend. This is uh, not for kids. We curse. We're chilling. It's just how it is. It's really just us kind of relaxing. And hopefully you guys are enjoying this type of content. Um, you guys already get good content on Mondays with Lawrence. And on Tuesday, you guys have, you know, Mark and Jolyn. On Wednesdays, you have the accountants. And then Thursday, you have the entertainers, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Michael Burry. It's been making the news again. So this came out earlier this week. I wanted to talk about it. And I know you have some pretty strong feelings about it, Mo. But in case people are missing it, this is what happened. So if you guys don't even know who Michael Burry is, he is famous for hedging against the real estate market before the real estate crash. And was it 2009, 2010, 2008, 2010, something like that, where the housing market completely collapsed. And he was right when everyone thought he was not. And he made a lot of money for a lot of people. Since then, he's been this respectable trader. So, Burry, right? It says right here, Burry has purchased put options against the U.S. stock market, holding two million put contracts for the S&P 500, SPY specifically, and QQQ, which track the S&P 500 and NASDAQ 100. The total value of these put options is $1.625 billion. Now, he filed his 13F. And that's how this revealed the significant changes in his portfolio. Also in his portfolio, what we noticed is that he exited from the China stocks that he had. He had previously invested in JD.com and Alibaba. So he completely exited all, all positions within that in Q2, which likely resulted in losses. Despite his overall bearish stance that he thinks the market's completely crash, he did add exposure to the travel industry by buying shares in Expedia and MGM Grand with holdings at 10.9 million and 6.6 million respectively. He also increased his stake in the healthcare companies Cigna and CBS. Now, people are freaking out because it's Michael Burry and he's saying the market's going to crash. 1.6 billion is a lot of money. What are your thoughts, Mo? So, uh, I want to educate people on this. So, when this news broke out, I think it was Monday, um, Twitter has a paper model. So, a lot of big influencers are reposting it because they're getting a lot of engagement, right? Fear drives engagement. And so this is what's going to happen when you get paid for engagement. A lot of people are going to make up stuff or say things. The issue on the matter is this came out of 13F. These are his old positions. We don't even know if he's still holding it. If you act based on the information you have that's two months out, it's not going to help you. So if you just add puts, and this guy's been wrong so many times this year, he comes <laughs> in saying, the market, then he deletes his, again, someone mentioned like he's got diamond. The amount of money he's playing with, we can't really like scan it, right? You scan what he's saying, mm -hmm. his plays. Does it match my account size? Every account is a small account comparison to his account. No, it doesn't. 
And this was disclosed on, I believe, 630, uh, 630. So June, yeah, in the June. Um, He's been profit. He probably sold half. We don't know anything. He might be holding it. But people made it seem like he bought it that morning. And the traders that are new, they probably panicked and sold their existing position because they freaked out. It's yeah, you were absolutely right about the 13F because one of the things that we also always see is anytime Warren Buffett reports his 13F on the things that he buys and the things that he sells, people either panic sell out of their position or they start adding, right? That stuff is delayed. So essentially what you're saying is ignore this noise from Michael Burry. Ignore the market's going to crash. Is that basically what you're saying? Just ignore, although he may be right. But he's been wrong more than right. You're saying that don't take this with a grain of salt, right? I would say that. And I feel like anything he says doesn't serve me a purpose because he's already made money off of it. The move's already over. There might be some crumbs left. I'd rather play with my own account size. I'm not going to say a name because I try to avoid this. But do you remember back in 2020, we all used to follow this newsletter that would come at the end of the day and it showed the person what stocks they were buying and selling. And most of the retail would do the same until that person went underwater. And this was a fund that used to like, they disclose what they bought that day and what they sold. Right. And the point is you can't, you don't know what that person's account size is. We don't know uh, what their risk management is. So I'd say if you like a trade, take it, but don't take it because they took, uh, they took it. Right. Good info. And so I, when I saw it, I just ignored it because, like I said, he's been saying he was. I mean, he was right. He was saying I think the market was going to crash before the pandemic. I believe he was saying it for years prior to that, and it didn't. And then it did hit. And then, of course, he was a genius once again. He also invested a lot of money in um this prison as well, which I'm not a biggest fan of. But had you, but had you followed it when he announced that, you actually would have been up on that position. I'm not sure if he's still holding it or not. But it's making it's making headlines, you know, the the huge YouTubers, I mean, like the Graham Stephens and stuff like that. Everyone's making videos on it. So I just want to talk about it because uh, I know it's making the news. I just don't want people to freak out and then start selling all their positions or whatnot. So other than that, Mo, do you have any other insight on this article? Um, I'd say just be careful. A lot of people do fear mongering because they want to buy too. What's that? I forgot the guy's name. Um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. The man, every episode of his is basically the market's going to crash. Buy gold, buy silver. It's just one day he'll be right and he'll just play a clip and say he was right, but he was wrong. And that's just, I think, human nature. Very few people can hold themselves accountable if they feel like they can get away with it. It's just easy to delete the clip or just... Um, overwhelm people with other information. Um, I'm probably the least active on Twitter that I've ever been. I'm actually more active on Instagram now because Twitter, it's just everyone's a head fund manager. Everyone wins. There's no issues. I'm the only one. Like, I feel like messaging, this is a tough market. Just be careful. Like, I've taken maybe like three, four trades this week. Um, I don't want to put in any money when I know there's other forces behind and I can easily lose a shit ton of money if I trade, uh, if I size big. So I'm like, like honest to God, been doing one contracts on SBX. I never do that one contract. And so if it does well, 
Um, I'm just testing it. Like with SPX, you can make a lot of money with one contract. I think people know that. But when I'm wrong, it's like not a big. Who's not? Yeah. <laughs> so immediately. Yeah. So, yeah. On the investing side, because I feel like we never really talk about investing too often anymore. But yeah, it's, it's Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, him. Uh, by the way, the book is amazing, though. I, I do like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I feel like that's everyone's first book that they read to get into investing. Um, but we don't talk about investing a lot. And I know, Mo, you don't really buy a lot of stocks to hold. But is there anything that you've been eyeing recently that you feel has gone down significantly? That I, you're think, eyeing? I think the biggest opportunity for me is I'm watching REITs. Um, okay. And they're topping. Eventually, they do drop. Uh, we have a lot of realtors out there and all the respect to them. And a lot of times the content is geared towards driving engagement, which is what we do too. So no harm there. And the goal is that you don't want to make it seem like no one's buying houses. So all the TikToks I see, it's like, like house prices are going to keep going up and all that. I feel like at some point rates will come down. And that might not be a bad investment. I think it's a better investment than doing it on dividend stocks. Uh, because How dare you? Don't disrespect me. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, yeah, you know, I have a portfolio where I just specifically just put in dividend stocks. So go ahead. For me, with the kind of knowledge I have, I would look into buying the read stocks when they go in the sell-off. Uh, and I think crypto goes too. I'm probably going to grab Bitcoin and Ethereum when that happens. Um, but I don't like, I think everyone should invest. Um, so th there's that, but I don't find myself doing it yet. I think there is a recession coming and I've said it. Um, Jeffrey said that it's going to happen. Uh, they said they will happen next year, Q4. Now they're saying it's going to happen, uh, next year, Q1, uh, which lines up with whatever, like, this is a retracement. I'm not saying it because we dropped 200 points. Everyone knew, like even Tom Lee's bullish, he even mentioned, that we know around 4,600, you can expect some sort of pullback. I'm talking about like new lows. Yeah. That's when I will look at it. Yeah, I'm a little nervous to add any new positions into my Roth. My dividend, I just, I add whenever I have spare cash, I just add it in there. But I've been eyeing some stocks that are getting back to the prices that I feel comfortable at buying at. I like Autodesk. I feel like they have a monopoly in that space. They're finally breached under $200. I was not going to buy it until it breached below $200. I'm eyeing it right now. I don't know if I'm going to add it or not. But what I am seriously thinking about adding is um, the ETF 10. It's the solar energy. If you look at, I remember we talked about Enphase before. I, I'm pretty sure I said this is, I don't, I don't remember what I said, to be honest. Um, but it, it tanked significantly. It was one of those few stocks that, survived during the pandemic and i mean ran up during the pandemic and then survived during 2021 and 2022 and then 2023 started selling off because we saw that they're kind of expensive to in install compared to other competitors but i like i still like enphase i just didn't like the valuation where it's at now now i'm starting to like where it's at which is in the 130s but i also like solar edge but I don't want to buy them individually. So I've been, I looked at TAN. TAN is currently at the 52-week low or close to the 52-week low. It's in the low 50s, which is an ETF which has both of those as well as the other one. I think it was um, Sun Solar or something like that, or Solar, something, something else. Another good company. But I forgot the, forgot the name of it off the top of my head. But they are top three holdings in TAN um, at this price. I'm 
I may start adding in my Roth tan. The only other thing that I added in my Roth that was brand new was Spotify. I only bought four shares right now as it's going down. Um, I changed my, my mind on Spotify and the thesis. I think some things are changing and where it's currently evaluated at, I, I may I may continue to buy when it goes down, but tan is the only other one I'm going to add in my Roth. Other than that, you guys already know, I, it's S&P 500, QQQ, and then I have the ETF Jets as well as XLF, which I've been buying since the the banks have been collapsing. So if you're interested in that, take a look at Autodesk. Um, do some research on it, y'all. Take a look. And take a look at Tan and, and let me know what you guys think. Definitely comment. I do show up in the comments every once in a while. Like after we shoot the show, I go in the comments sometimes and I look and heart and, and I like to see you guys' feedback. But yeah, definitely check it out. Um, someone asked a question here. Hold on. Let me, let me pull it up here because I got my phone next to me and I can't really see the comments. What, what does it say right there? What are your thoughts on companies like Eaton for the future power grid investment? Speaking of solar, never heard of it. I'm not going to sit here in front. Never heard of it. Um, I talked to someone. Um, is it ETV? The ticker symbol, Malik? Let me know. Um, talking to someone and they said it will take a while for solar to be like solar companies to make profit. And I know nothing fundamentally about the companies. And I don't know. Like, I feel like solar's kind of like in the EV space where a lot of companies might not be profitable, but let me see. Yeah, you know, my I listen to a podcast. Okay, let me clarify. My wife told me about a podcast and gave me all the details and the summary of it. I am going to listen to it. It's it was a guy who I guess is an expert in solar energy and just energy in general. And he's, his outlook, my understanding is that they're trying to transition everything to electricity, especially in the United States. I don't know if you buy a lot of new homes, you don't really get gas lines often anymore because they try to transition all the way to uh, electricity. But I guess his biggest argument is that it's going to be very difficult for the United States to go fully electric because the power grid cannot actually sustain that. So that's something that I'm really interested in. And he says, yeah, no worries. Um, yes, it's ETN. Honestly, I look at the chart. It looks like a really good chart to short in September. I'll probably save it. Everything's going to sell off. Uh, when, thank you, Malik. Huh? You just, as I, I said, thank you, Malik. He just gave you uh, something to save and look into. Once we start selling this uh, sell cycle, which usually happens in September, it's not nothing to be, I'm not trying to scare. This happens every year. Uh, basically, everything does sell off. And um, someone has a question about Tesla. I know a lot about Tesla because I was actually looking at the chart. Tesla has a hundred moving average on daily at 200 and uh, not 200, 220. And if that doesn't hold 200 is the place that I would like to go long on it for a trade. I, for, for a trade. Yeah. Cause we already said it. I, I think, well, I said, I thought when we were talking about Tesla when it was, I think still at 280, I said, I think that test is going down to 200 by the end of the year. You said, I think 100, correct? Oh, come September. So here's what I think. I think you're getting one more bounce and that bounce is worth shorting. After that, 150 should be a breeze. Um, I don't know if they're still holding their crypto position. If they're holding crypto and Bitcoin tanks, that's also going to impact. And I will tell you this. It takes $100 to book a Cybertruck. They're banking on Cybertruck being such a big success. The problem is how many people are going to take delivery. They have, and they can ask for a refund. 
Like you could just say, I don't want the Cybertruck, get the hundred dollars back. So there's a lot of like hype over Cybertruck. If people don't take deliveries and I'm pretty sure when they start production, they're going to start asking for more money than so people can just confirm that they're actually going to buy it. But Tesla is going to be in a whole different position. Also note, while NVIDIA has run from, I think, $100 to five, Tesla barely moved, which tells me there's a change in sentiment short term. Long term, I don't know what's going to happen. You are going to see 100 and then 60, in my opinion, with by next summer. Everything I say by next summer. Yeah. And um, for full transparency, I do buy TSLL. So um, even though I'm, I'm bearish on the stock overall, I still think it, with the valuation right now where it's at is a little high, especially in the current environment. And I mean, we've had this conversation so many times on this channel. Honestly, I hate talking about Tesla at this point. And I honestly also hate talking about Elon at this point because he's become a um, he's no longer this genius inventor he is now a social media influencer <laughs> that's how i see him the guy literally is a social media influencer that's like all that he does now he's sitting there just trying to start fights with mark zuckerberg to see if this fight's gonna happen do you think that fight's gonna even happen you think that's gonna happen do you really think they're gonna fight i think they joke around um i don't know on uh, can i to be honest with you one of the things i've done in the last three months is cut all the noise. Like, if you go check how much I tweet on Twitter now, bare, bare minimum, I don't really, like, a lot of stuff that's getting posted isn't really news, isn't the stuff that people should be consuming, but yet we are. We're worried about stuff that doesn't matter at all. Like, I don't I don't get it. I stay out of it. I don't look at it, waste energy on it. I think a lot of us should, like, focus on growth, but you are right. A lot of stuff that Elon talks about I'm like what the hell like what's going on like why are we talking about it how is it how is this news yeah it's just Elon for that all right let's close it out with the controversial discussion all right Mo I need you to jump in this too so I don't say anything to get us canceled um because you know I tend to we did not rehearse this I did do my research I spent a lot of time researching the LGBTQ community. I already done it in the past, but spent a lot of time um, looking into it. Let's uh, hold on before I get into that real fast. Here is uh, Disney's at a key support level, watching closely for the bounce of the break. Uh, yeah, just um, my status. I've been posting about my Disney call that I have, the $85 call that I have for January, and I was selling calls against it, the poor man cash secure put. My poor man cash secure put worked out. I profited was at 180 some dollars off of that. And I'm going to recycle that probably next week. I'm going to do it again for next month and keep doing that until Disney either stays flat or jumps up. And I'm going to sell the premium before January. All right. So the LGBTQ conversation. Um, the reason why we brought this up is because, you know, again, this is also an entertainment channel and I want to read something here. Um, Let's just start with Wayne Brady. If you know who Wayne Brady is, put, put a one in the chat, please. Do you know who Wayne Brady is, Mo? I've no idea. Really? Yeah. Okay. Wayne Brady is an actor slash comedian, black guy. It's been around for a very long time. He used to be on, on this um, show. I forgot the name of it in the early 2000s, really popular. And then he, he worked with uh, Dave, Dave Chappelle a few times in some of the skits. He's, he's a funny guy. You know, he's married. He had, well, he was married. He's now divorced and he has children. Well, about a week ago, Wayne Brady 
came out. Um, he publicly revealed and he identifies as pansexual. Do you know what that is? No idea. It means he's attracted to individuals regardless of their gender or sex, which to me just means bisexual. But I guess we're in a society now they have multiple different names, by the way. So like you, for example, are considered a cis male. But um, yeah, Wayne Brady is now out of the closet. He is pansexual. He says Wayne Brady initially considered identifying as bisexual, but he settled on pansexuality due to the understanding that it, it encompasses attraction to individuals across a wide spectrum of genders and sexual orientation. For him, pansexual, pansexuality means being able to connect with anyone, regardless of how they identify. Then he uses the reason why he decided to come out of the closet is because of Ron Williams. He said Ron Williams' death prompted Wayne Brady to delve into self-discovery and mental health. Wayne admitted to feeling attraction towards men at times in his life, but the social norms and fears prevented him from fully exploring his aspect of his identity. Hmm. Okay. What's your thoughts on that so far? I don't know. I don't know what to say. And just one more thing. Make sure you guys are being respectful in the comment section because people will have opinions and stuff. Um, I like, I have a different topic altogether that I want to talk about this stuff. I, I honestly, if people want to kind of like do their own thing, like they want to say things like, you know, what refer me to as they, them, like that's kind of like their thing. Um, I respect it and I just leave it there. Um, my issue, which we'll, we'll get it later. It's what's happening in schools these days, especially kindergarten, kids seven and under. That's the stuff I want to talk about because I don't think that's entertainment. I think that's education. Yes, we're, and we're, I was gonna I was gonna lead into that as well. Um, the only reason why I was bringing up Wayne Brady is because um, Hollywood's gotten really weird. It seems like clearly the dude's bisexual. I mean, that's just what he is. I don't pansexual. The dude's bisexual. He likes men, women. It is what it is, right? I knew a guy that I was cool with for many years. We, I considered him a friend. We, we were friends, if you want to call it that. I did cut him off because he's a two-faced bastard. The thing is, like, he, he invited me to his wedding out of the blue ones. He's like, hey, man, I'm getting married. Now, this is after I've known this guy for 12 years or so. He came out of the closet as bisexual when we were in the military together because there's rumors going around, and he, he was very upfront about it. And... After he came out as bisexual, he started hitting on me. And this has happened quite often. To me, and, and I hate this. I, I hate this because, you know, you, you'd fish. It's just like when you when we were single, you would go out and you would, you know, throw a fish line and see who would grab. Right. You just kind of feel out a girl like, hey, see if she's interested in you. What used to bug the shit on me is like, how do you know you're not gay if you never tried it? And that, that used to bother the hell out of me. I'm like, listen, man, it's like I know what I like. I'm comfortable with my sexuality. I know what I like. And for many years, going back to the 90s, I was a huge component of the LGB community. I was at the protests. I did the, the parades in Germany. I was there. I have no issue with anybody being gay. Don't care. What I'm starting to realize now is that being gay and all these weird, these different names for what you are, I feel like it's just a way to grab attention. Like, look at me. It makes me special. There's no difference, to, at least in, in my opinion, there's no difference between me and a gay person. The only difference is 
they like the same sex, what they would like to sleep with behind closed doors. So leave it at that. The reason why I'm bringing it up is just because recently also Neo got in some hot water. And Neo, and this is what we're going to be talking about here. This is the, the conversation. So Neo, Grammy-winning singer, made remarks about parenting and gender identity during an interview with Gloria Velez, I think that's her name, on Vlad TV. Essentially what he said is that he does not think that is okay for a child to choose their gender at such a young age. He said, I come from an era where there were two genders, male and female. And he believes that there is confusion in today's society regarding gender identification. He mentioned that people can identify as whatever they want, but it becomes an issue for him when they try to impose their identification on him. And that is exactly my problem as well. No problem. Live your life. I give two shits. I got gay friends. I don't care. But it's when it starts to cross the line of you need to accept and impose my thoughts like pansexual. Like, I'm not going to go around and say you're pansexual, bro, you're, you're bi. Anyways, Neo was questioned the idea of allowing children such as a five year old to make life changing decisions about their gender identity. He compared this to other decisions as a child make, like eating candy all day and expressed his confusion about when it became acceptable to let children make such decisions. And that is when I started to have issues, not even with, because honestly, like when I talk to my, my friends who are in the LGBTQ community, a lot of them don't seem to align with what you're seeing on social media and what you're seeing on the news. A lot of them are like, no, man, we don't support this stuff. This is weird. Why are they forcing this on young children? It is just weird to them. And it's weird to me. And that's where I think we kind of start crossing the line. And I have a bunch of statistics that I dropped in the description below. You're more than welcome to go ahead and, and look at these statistics. But we can go over those as well. But this is what happened with Neo. He got backlash. And then I guess <laughs> this is the funny part. I guess his publicist or someone um, made an apology tweet or Instagram post saying, um, I apologize. I misspoke. I'm now in the learning process of understanding the LGBTQ community. And he quickly went on Instagram and was like, yo, I am not apologizing for what I said. That is not me who posted. That's my publicist. I believe what I believe. And it is what it is. You either like it or you don't like it. It is my opinion. You have your opinion and I have my opinion. I'm not going to sit here and apologize. He's actually been getting a lot of support about that. But what's your thoughts? So, I like I that's the part that I wanted to talk about and quickly anonymous is saying anyone noticed previous comments disappeared so we're not deleting anyone's comment we're not yes yeah. if we if that's why I said just be respectful but I haven't or Mark hasn't deleted anyone's comment we respect your guys' opinion so I'll talk about the story in Canada so in Canada in kindergarten some schools have decided that they're not going to address kids based on their gender anymore because it's um, assuming the gender mm -hmm. and so to me that is insane so like i said if if a if a parent comes and says you know what do this with my kid and treat him like this and call him using these words i'm okay with that but just generalizing everyone because of that that's not cool and i think me and you talked about this a while ago where um, they were talking about just like um, letting kids pick what gender they want to be and just run with it. And the government of Canada um, is actually letting you um, like if you need to get any surgeries, they're actually paying for it as well to a certain extent. 
And in my opinion, that's because, you know, these are votes, right? These are additional votes that you can just get by doing something very simple, which is throwing money. Um, but yeah, that's it's scary what potentially could be taught in schools. And unless your kid tells you, and a lot of people might feel uncomfortable because they might feel like they're being a villain in this story because they seem like they're not being supportive. I think, like I said, I respect everyone's choices, but you can't enforce those choices on me or my kids. So that's what's scary to me, like teaching this kind of stuff or like talking about this stuff in kindergarten, like when you're about four or five years old and letting them make a decision. And if you... um if you don't let uh, them do that, then child services will come and they'll interfere. Uh, Bernard saying, how does this impact market? Bernard, feel free to end this podcast and exit if this is making you uncomfortable. Um, this is one of the topics we will be covering. And I completely respect that you don't find this valuable. So that's like, we're going to do what we're going to do. And we're going to do it in a respectful manner. And we understand. And I think Mark said in the beginning that we are going to talk about this. So if this is something that doesn't fit well with you, you know, you could just exit the podcast at this point. Yeah. It's also the reason why we saved it for the end. So if, if like, that's why we didn't do it in the beginning. We want to save it for the end. We went through the stock stuff. Like I said, if you've noticed for the past five weeks, we kind of incorporate other entertainment conversations in this as well. But yeah, I agree with you. And I want to I want to bring up a chart here because I remember um, I think it was on Patrick Bet David converse, conversations on his podcast. He was talking about like when did this become such a huge thing? Like what what shifted? And we looked through generations of generations, and we saw that there's been an, a significant uptake in what is considered, I guess, acceptable and not acceptable. And I'm starting to feel like this movement, especially with the youth, a lot of it is just like a, is a trend, is a fad. And if you look at here, let me pull this up right here. You can see that this is a study that was done. Again, I have all the, the sources down there, but it, it shares the, um, hold on, let me put it right, move this out the way. It shares how people have identified since 2012 to 2022 and by generations of um, when we were born, right? You, I think, I think well, you and I are in similar in age. So we kind of fall into, um, where is it? Millennials. So we're the millennials group. And if you look, we're basically this bar right here. But if you look at the Gen Z, which is people born from 1997, to 2004, this is the uptick, the uptick. So they're saying that right now that approximately between 20 to well, 19 to 20% of people from Gen X are now identifying as LGBTQ. And the question is always like, is it, was it always like this or was it just people were, were being quiet about it or is it because it's more acceptable and it's considered kind of cool now because you do kind of get treated differently and kind of better. And I hate to say kind of better because there are some hate crimes. And like I said, there's, I can go on and on. I have a bunch of sources down there, but you can read it if you want to hate crimes that the FBI currently attracts when it comes to that is hate crimes towards individuals as well as property. And if you look at those numbers, I have a lot of statistics in there. Just look at the numbers. And if you critically think and you look at the data and the questions that are being asked, you will quickly realize that it seems like a lot of this stuff is more of a way for people to feel 
special and different because being regular and boring, normal is just not acceptable or is not is like frowned upon these days. It's like the same video that I did earlier about everyone hating millionaires, but everyone wants to be a millionaire. It's like everybody wants to be a millionaire. Nobody's happy just being an average person having a good job that's nine to five, having a family, having a house, having a car, living, I guess, the quote unquote American dream, if that even still exists, and just being happy, being a normal average person. It seems like everyone needs to feel special and everyone needs to be special to get some sort of attention. I mean, look at all these celebrities. Like I was saying before, Charlize Theron, she adopted two black boys from Africa. They're under the age of eight, I believe. And they're both trans. Hmm. Interesting. Megan Fox, one of her child, one of her children is trans. You got, what's her name? Not Megan Good. Um, Gabriella Union. Her kid is trans. All of a sudden, all these trans kids are out there and then corporations are feeding into it. And I'm starting to notice in the stock market that a lot of these corporations that are feeding into this trans movement, like the Skittles, which had black trans lives matter and it has like a bunch of little cartoon characters that are black that are trans and i'm starting to see that corporations are taking a hit from this but light is the one probably that got hit the worst target is as well they just made an announcement recently that they're having inventory um surplus because people aren't aren't shopping there anymore they had, they're losing a lot of money right now and i i don't think that this is a battle that people should get into, but I know corporations don't really care about these people. It's just a way for them to seem cool. So people shop there, but it's clearly backfiring. And when corporations start seeing that they're not making money off of this and that they're getting pushback, you will slowly start seeing them backing off and going back to normal and potentially switching sides. So, Oh, someone said it. She doesn't have a kid. Yeah, it's Dwayne Wade's kid. Yeah, that's the same. She's a stepmom, though. So, I mean, whatever. Um, but, yeah, that, that's all. I just wanted to talk about. If anyone has anything they want to say in there, it's just, it's, it's just weird. Um, but, yeah, that, that was it. Just wanted to bring that up. But I have, I have a lot of stats in the description if you guys want to see it. And um, I'm just trying to be careful with what I say here. But, yeah. I genuinely, like, I was reading the comments and uh, a couple of things. Someone said you don't have to tell cousins to be respectful in the comments it's not like anyone could just make any name and come in and start trashing or saying something so you gotta give a disclaimer so if someone does do that we're gonna have to kick them out like you can straight your opinion but you can't be like bashing people i've seen these topics get sensitive so don't take it personally second is someone said that we could be or we should be talking about friday pre-live rather than talking about that like i said we wanted to talk about it so we did but that's a very good idea that we could talk about Friday levels on Thursday, something that I think I could do. What do you think about it, Mark? That's fine. I don't train on Fridays. Yeah, no, I'm just saying that that's a, that's an amazing idea. I didn't think of that. Yeah. Like talk about Friday levels for Thursday. That's pretty good. I'm gonna next week I'll have something for you guys. All right. Cool. But and I guess that's it. I don't want to go any deeper. So yeah, that's it for me too. <laughs> so all right, y'all. Thank you for t tuning in. See you guys next week, I guess. Until next time. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully we didn't rub you wrong. Until next time. Peace out. But wait, I gotta get my Ric Flair scream in there. Woo! There you go. All right, y'all. Peace out. Take care. Bye bye.
That's 100.